0: Well, thank you all uh, for being here again this morning. And uh, we're going to continue our look at the book of James. Um, As many of you know, when I was uh, 42 years old, I had sold my business and we moved to Orlando, Florida uh, to go into the ministry, to answer a call to go into ministry. Uh, Little did I know when we went what a mess I was and uh, how much of my own heart would be exposed. You see, the the Apostle James has written this letter, and it is extremely practical. It is for those of us who find a war, a turmoil going on inside our own hearts that needs to be rectified before ever we speak out into the world around us. So when we went to Florida, we joined a church there, St. Paul's Presbyterian Church, uh, that's uh, the church that R.C. Sproul had helped found, and they had a wonderful staff of pastors. There were three, four pastors on staff, and uh, so I-, I went to go see one of the pastors within weeks of being there, and uh, Bob Ingram was uh, the one I spoke to, and Bob and I sat down, and I started to tell him uh, some of the things that were going on in my own heart, my own soul, this inner turmoil, things that you don't normally talk to about anyone. And uh, I remember Bob listening carefully, and then he said, Chuck, you cannot live, you can't live in a pool of regret. You can't live there because you'll drown. All of those inner turmoils and sorrows and pain will pull you down. They will drown you. And it was then, I was, hadn't been in Orlando a couple of weeks before, I, it, and with that, launched the idea in my mind and also in school, and the scriptures began to open up to me. The importance, the priority, if you will, of the inner life. What is going on inside? And James has gone to lengths to tell us what is going on inside and how it affects us Outside, He talked about speech ethics. We looked at this a few weeks ago in chapter 3, how the tongue is uncontrollable. It's like a fire. And when the tongue gets going, it's just an expression of what's rolling around inside of our hearts. And the tongue starts to speak and out comes this fire. And he says this fire sets on course the, the whole trajectory of your life. That's how powerful it is. Whether it's words that you speak out loud or words that you are allowing to roll around inside. And of course, Jesus said after a while, out of the abundance of your heart, uh, your mouth would speak. And then right after this, in the balance of chapter 3, James starts talking about the two kinds of wisdom. In other words, how are you going to control your tongue? You're going to need wisdom. You can't just, you know... Bear down on it and say, okay, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to speak. I mean, we tried that. People, monks used to go into uh, their monasteries and never speak for, you know, 30 years. But that didn't stop what's going on inside of your mind. It doesn't stop the turmoil that is raging inside of our hearts. And James is a good pastor. He wants us to see what is going on. So he tells us you're going to need wisdom from above, not this wisdom from beneath. This earthly wisdom is going to be unspiritual and demonic. In fact, he said it's going to lead to disorder and every vile practice. In other words, your, your heart, if you listen to the wisdom out there in the world, they're going to tell you, uh, you know, fame and fortune and beauty and power and money and politics and you name it. It's going to lay out a string of things that that are going to be dangled, if you will, before each one of us and held out to us like a carrot. And it just keeps your mind in a turmoil of this rage of passions, which we're going to look at in a moment. And in order to do that, I'm going to need a Bible. Christopher, grab my Bible. (laughs) This is what happens when you get old like this. Okay, just don't get too close. (laughs) All right. God bless you, my friend. Christopher just graduated from high school. I have to tell you, um, that graduation card that you sent, the best ever. ever. If you all didn't get one, uh, too bad for you. I got to tell you, it was the best best graduation card. Bring a few and leave them here so we can get you a little bit more money in your purse. So he tells us you're going to need wisdom. The wisdom you're going to need to control your tongue, to deal with the inner turmoil, what I went to go see Bob Ingram about, the thing that you're going to need to really get down to the root of your problem, something we preach relentlessly here at Christ the King, is wisdom from above. It's the wisdom, and James describes it this way in 3, 12, uh, 13 through 18. He describes it like this. He says, this wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, It's gentle. It's open to reason. In other words, it's open to being taught or or contradicted. God will come in sometimes and He'll contradict us. Sometimes He'll affirm us. But you're, you're willing to learn. It's full of mercy. In other words, there's spaciousness in your life. There's room in your life. It produces good fruit. It's impartial. And it's sincere. And listen, there's never been a cultural moment for most of you in this room that this is not more relevant than right now with the hatred and the vitriol and the cruelty that is being spoken it's filling the atmosphere of this world and of our lives it's not the first time it's happened but for many of you it is the first time to hear this kind of stuff and this kind of riotous and hatred that's out there in the environment and who I ask you who is going to speak truth and be wise in this moment. It's not going to be our governments. They're too interested in themselves and in power and money and all the rest. Who are you going to look to? Well, I'm going to suggest we look to Christ the King. Can I have an amen, you Presbyterians? Yes, of course. You've got to look to Christ, your king. He is the supreme king. He is the only one who can go into your heart and sort out this mess. And if you don't think you have a mess, then you need to leave right now because Christianity is not going to help you. But if you know that you have this inner inner stuff going on, which we'll read in a second you're going to fall in love with this Savior who can come into you and make a difference, a real, true change, so that you can endure. Whatever comes your way, whatever trials he talked about in chapter 1, whatever comes your way, you are able to take that. Maybe you won't be joyful, but he says you'll be able to take that trial and that trouble, and you'll be able to count it as joy. You may be suffering, and you may be miserable. He didn't say act joyful, Or be joyful, he said, simply count it as joy because you know that something and someone else is sitting on the throne of your life, ruling your life and your circumstances, and it's not a political party, it's not a bank account, it's not your personal appearance. I mean, not everybody can look as good as me. What is up with that? everybody's sitting there, don't go, wake up. I know we didn't have coffee this morning, but wake up. All right, come on. Look, open your Bible to James chapter 4. This is, I mean, this is one of the best parts of his book. It's all been good. If you, uh, I've enjoyed the heck out of this book, but listen to what he says here. If this does not describe our world and our cultural moment and our hearts, then nothing does, folks. But listen, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Just read the the first few verses here, uh, 10 verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly or wickedly actual is the translation to spend it on your passions you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns, God yearns jealously over the spirit of man, over the spirit of humanity that He made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Therefore, the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks be to God for that. Look what he says. We're going to look very quickly at how James is coming. Now, you know, he's starting to pull all these threads. If you go back and it's a a short book, you can read this book in 10, 15 minutes. He's pulling these threads together and he's going in really deep. He's going in hard. He's not being gentle with the flock. He's coming right at them because what will happen to your heart What will happen to you as a human being is that you will be disintegrated. You will be torn apart. He's already talked about it. You will be tossed about by winds and waves of doctrine. Every time you turn on the news, almost every day I take the news uh, app, the news feed off my phone because I'm so frustrated. And then later in the afternoon, I can't stand it anymore. I got to see what's happening. So I put it back on. Every day there's this turmoil there are passions. Look at verse 1 through 3. Passions are at war within you. He's saying there's this stuff going on inside of us. And I'm just asking you folks here on Sunday morning for just these few seconds, p- p- put it out of your mind. Well, it's this one's fault. And it's says if this was different, if this circumstance was different, if that was there, everything would be okay. Stop it. Just stop with that for just a moment. And just look down inside. Just ask yourself. What is that war within me? What's raging? What's going on in there? Get honest for 1 second. Let me tell you, it will make a world of difference because the words he's using quarrels and uh fights, these are these are terms in Greek for physical warfare. It's and one is with weapons and one is not. One is just the, the turmoil that, that human beings experience to one degree or another in our hearts, but then they start to move out into the world. These things, he uses the word, your passions. This is a word in Greek, uh, hedone, hedonism. It's this self-serving, self-awareness, uh, self, uh, uh, self-centeredness, selfishness. To where, and humility, as I told you, is not thinking less of yourself, not thinking bad of yourself, like C.S. Lewis said. Humility is thinking of yourself less. We are the center of our universe. We are sitting, we are the captain of our ship, the, the, uh, uh, the king on our throne of our lives. And here you're seeing that James said That passion, that warfare that is going on in your heart is going to tear you to shreds. Your desire, he uses this famous Greek word, epithumia. It's not just regular desire, it's epi-desire. It's over-desire. It's lust, not sexual necessarily, but it's this passion that you cannot control. It's like the tongue, it's carrying you. What is it that's driving us? And then he uses this, it's amazing logic, and I wish we had more time, but we just don't. Uh, but I'm happy to answer if yeah, I want to stay and have questions, fine, I'll talk to you about it. He uses this, this very rich rabbinic uh, teaching method. He says, look, you desire, but you don't have, so you murder. Look at this, brilliant. How do you murder He's not saying you go out and kill somebody with a knife or you kill somebody with a gun, although it could become that. But he's already spoken about the fire coming out, the words that come out of our mouth. Or maybe you don't even say them. Maybe you're just thinking, I hate that person. I can't stand that person. That person wounded me. That person, you know, Jesus said that's like murder. James heard his brother say that. It's like Murder. There's murder going on in our hearts, but we don't want to look at that. We just want to point out there at everybody doing the wrong thing. And we don't look inside. Imagine if the church got a vision for looking inside and then acting out in love and grace and peace. What a voice we would have. I talked to my son this week. I have an older, uh, my oldest son uh, who's almost 40. I can't believe it. And he's got two little kids that are my grandchildren, and I don't trust him with them. I want him to give me those children because I don't trust him with them. But he called me, I sent him an article to read, and the article. It was about, you know, how the, this is a historic moment with all the chaos in the streets and all the stuff going on. And, and the, and the churches the, the world is watching. The world is out there looking to see what the church is going to do. And my son, who's been to seminary, graduated from Redeemer Seminary in Dallas. My son called me and he says, Dad, this article is stupid. Why did you send it to me? I said, nobody's watching the church. Nobody cares what the church is doing. Nobody could, nobody could care less And I was shattered because he's right. We're just another political lobby out there with our cardboard signs complaining about this or that or the other thing. Do black lives matter? Do black lives matter? Okay. Do all lives matter? Yeah. You know, those are just naked assertions. They're just statements. They have no context. They have no meaning. Who's out there? Who's going to ask the question? Why does anybody's life matter? Why do black lives matter? Why does white lives matter? Why does all lives matter? Why does anybody's life matter? But no, we're going to shout slogans at one another to to put ourselves in some sort of a, a political alignment When the King of glory is saying to you with hands that are scarred and a side that is wounded and a head that is broken from thorns, He's going to ask you, why does anybody's life matter? And the only answer you can come to, if you have any brains at all, is the reason your life matters, or black lives, or all lives, or any lives, is because His life mattered. Because God became a man. Otherwise, you'd be nothing more than a cockroach on this earth. But if you have been invested with the divine image of God, the Imago Dei, if that is in you, if you are a human being, your life matters and it only matters because Jesus Christ became a man. The humanity of Jesus. You could not know the Father without the Son and you would never have received Holy Spirit without Jesus having come. How dare we, in the church, throw slogans to one another and not ask the question, why does anybody's life matter? Now you're talking. Now you're getting to the gospel. Now you're getting down into this this warfare of the inside that is going on that's now outside, tearing our streets apart, tearing our government apart, and tearing sometimes churches apart. Because churches don't know how to focus on this beautiful, majestic king who came lowly on a donkey, who came saying, peace, peace, I will bring you peace. We want to bypass him and go to other stuff, and that's what James is talking about. Look at verse 4, the result. It is a compromised relationship with God. In other words, it is adultery. There are a lot of wounds that human beings can be Wounded by, but adultery is up there. If not the top, it's one of the top three. If you have been betrayed or you have betrayed someone that you loved and thought you loved, you betrayed them or they've been betrayed and they thought you loved them, whatever it is, you know what that is. You know the pain. You know how deep and how devastating it can be. It's like a death. It's like losing somebody in your family. It's like losing your closest human partner to death. It's like they die And he likens idolatry and adultery throughout the Bible. This is the problem that is everything from chapter 3 to the end, to the book of Revelation. Everything in your Bible is written because of one thing idolatry, the divided heart, the compromised relationship that began in the garden and has carried on until the New Jerusalem comes. In Revelation 21 and 22, that's what your Bible's about, compromised relationships. You adulterous people, he said, don't you see it? He's talking to the church, folks. He's not talking to them. There's no us and them. When you hear the newscasters say us and them, turn them off. That's no place for that in Christianity. There is no us and them. In Christianity, there's only us. Amen. I mean, yeah, take a breath, Chuck. My heart is beating. There's no us and them. Are you out of your minds? There is out there. Republicans are saying them. Democrats are saying them. Everybody's us and them. But in the church, there's no us and them. There's only us. Us. Miserable sinners. Wretched. Poor. Downcast. We have nothing. Do you believe that people of Christ the King? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Christianity is no good without that. It means nothing. Just another religion. What is an idol? I have told you now for I don't know sixteen years or more, or seventeen. I don't know how many years. It's been too long. An idol. What is idolatry? An idol is anything that occupies the place that God should occupy alone. In other words, there's no room in His uh, holy of holies, in His tabernacle, there's no room for anything else but Him. You can't be syncretistic. You can't go out there and grab all this stuff and and drag it into there and say, okay, I'm a Christian as long as I can have all of this. That's antithetical to Christianity. No, he says, you you come naked, you come poor, you come with nothing in your hand. You come and you bow down, you humble yourself before me, and I will exalt you. Are you going to trust me? Anything that occupies, think of it, think of the thing. I mentioned one last week, I said gun control. Because most people in Presbyterian churches are all into... Gun rights and gun... control. I'm not talking about the liberal left. They have their own idols. I'm talking to our tribe. Our people. Who say we have rights. Look, I'm your pastor. I'm telling you with all the love I can muster up in my heart. Jesus Christ says you come to me and you have no rights. Do you understand that? I can't say it any more blatantly than that. Some of you may get mad. You may not want to come back. You may think I'm a lefty. And I'm not, I'm actually a righty. But let me tell you folks, when you come to Jesus, you're all in. He he puts it this way. You want to come to me? You got to die. Now what do you take with you when you die? Nothing. No guns. No Democrat, no Republican, no this, no that, no slave, no Gentile, no free, no male, no female. Everybody's in him. He's the king of glory. And we're selling our soul for a paltry nothing, folks. The church, no, no. At least Christ the king, no. Otherwise, let's take the, the name down off our, 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 our name out. Take it down and put something else up there. The mushy ones. I like that, the mushy ones, sounds good to me. Our Steve Brown, one of my professors, he, he said, don't shilly-shally. I think that would be a great name for a Scottish Presbyterian church. The shilly-shallyers. Come join us. We shilly-shally. We don't stand for anything. Nobody cares if we live or die. In fact, if the church goes away tomorrow, nobody would notice. When are they going to notice us? I'll tell you when. When we're exalting Jesus. When He is shining so bright that His revulgent glory is blinding every eye. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to go all the way? This is what James is pushing us toward. You adulterous people. He says, cut it out. Give up. Rip those idols out of your heart. And look at the basis upon which He says to do. This Folks, if this doesn't get you, I'm done. There's nothing I can do to help you. Look at what He says you're to do with your heart. Look at verse 5 and 6. He, God, yearns jealously over you. Here is a God that is raging with jealousy. But that jealousy is love unpolluted it is love in action it is love in a protective mode it is love that is covering every inch of you with his feathers of his wing he has gathered he's around you he's not going to let anything touch you to his own expense and his own cost he loves you because he made you in his image the spirit he made to dwell in us but he gives us more grace you're to throw yourself entirely on him Not trying to earn your way into his favor. You can't possibly do it. You don't have enough money. You don't have the right money. You don't have enough of it. You couldn't possibly get into his presence. So what he does is he tears his heart open and says, Come in. At my expense. I will pay the price. But don't come with stuff in your hand. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Break. Go down on your knees for him. You want my guns? Take my gun. You want my constitutional rights? Take them. You want my family? My mother? My father? My children? My grandchildren? They're yours. How hard is that? But Jesus said, if you love father and mother, what is He talking about? He's saying that you're going to have... There are fires out there, folks, that are devastating. We're comfy here on Wrestler Street. I mean, nothing. nobody's going to bother us. But just get in an airplane and fly across the ocean and land in my home country, where my family is from, go to Syria, and you won't find any more Christians there. They've all been murdered. How long do you think you can hold on to your stuff? How can it take that place in our heart? Human jealousy is always mixed with stuff, ulterior motives. We know what those are, Uh, self-protection and pride. You know, we're protecting our kids, but, you know, we're jealous over our children, but it's only because they might make us look bad. And, you know, well, well, what if they marry the wrong person? and, 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 and I mean, it's all of that. There's always something mixed, but not with God. His jealousy is absolutely pure. He throws Himself around us, surrounds us, and says, I will take the blow. I don't know if you've seen on YouTube there's this, this video going around it uh, of a cobra, a big cobra snake, and it's going it's got this this chicken and all her chicks trapped. Have any of you seen that? Nobody? Only I watch YouTube. Probably, right? Anyway, there's this chicken, and the cobra, big king cobra, comes and he wants to get the chicken, or the chicks. And the mother chicken goes to war with the snake. It's really something to see. I mean feathers are flying and the snake's going this way and that way. And the chick's with one, one wing. She's swooping them out the, the, out of the way into the corridor so they can get away. And with the other wing, she's shielding them. And the snake is hitting her and hitting her. But she's too fast for him. It's really awesome. I wish I could move like that. Amazing. But who was the snake striking? Her. Human jealousy is always mixed up. God's jealousy, his, his passion, His furious love for you is never ending. He will never leave or forsake you. And His grace, grace, look, write this down somewhere. Write it in your heart, but write it in your body. Grace means grace plus Nothing. Grace will not abide anything else next to it. It's never grace plus. It's never God plus. It's never Jesus plus this. There's no room. The Holy of Holies was very small. And he said, you shall have no other gods before me. That word can mean in rank or order, like, you, you know, you can't move me down to number two and him up one. But it also, in Hebrew, the word also means you can have no other gods before me in my presence where I could see them. Rid my space of those gods. Take them out, tear them out. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. We think that Paul and James were, you know, no, they weren't. They were totally on the same page. Don't, this is the Apostle Paul. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't you see that he is reaching out with jealousy and pulling you and drawing you? Don't you see? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sins, you're storing up terrible punishment. He's saying, don't do that. You're storing up up punishment for yourself. Turn away from that. Repent and believe the gospel. Look at 7 through 10. Here's where he, he pushes us to the answer to our ills. And he does it in, a, in a, a marvelous way. I did not know this until just yesterday. I was blown away as I was reading. I started reading it in English. And one of the commentators said something. And I got out my Greek Bible. I can actually manage a Greek Bible. Not well, but I'm not afraid of it. So I open it up and sure enough, there it is. Listen to these words. He uses on purpose, this man is a genius, James. He uses ten imperatives, ten commandments in explaining to us what you do in order to defeat this raging fire, these passions that are consuming us and taking us away from having the passion and fervor for our Savior Jesus Christ. Submit, one. These are imperative verbs. They're they're commands. They're not options. They're commandments. Submit, resist, come near, Wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve and mourn. In other words, you know, this is not fun and games. you got to be serious about what's happening in this world. Let your heart be broken, grieve, mourn, wail, change, humble yourself. Ten imperative verbs. And then look, with those he couples three, and I know this is not a grammar lesson, but just listen, ten commandments, and then he gives us three indicative promises. The devil, resist him, he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Humble yourselves, he will lift you up. Let me ask you a simple question, folks, and we'll finish. I want to finish real quick. What, what will it cost you, really and truly? Just think for a minute. What would it cost you to give it all to Jesus Christ completely and tell Him there's nothing here left, you're not indifferent to those things. In fact, I would argue that you will love your children more, you'll love your husband and wife more, you'll love your family, you'll love your country, that you will truly enter into a new state of power and boldness if you give them into His hand. Because on the other side of that is exaltation. Whereas if you hold them in your hand, the other side of that is what? What is the other side? The grave. Do you understand? The other side of that, if you hold them, the grave. Give them to him, what's on the other side of that? I get my children back. I get my parents back. I get my grandparents back. I get everything I loved back. I get the world and everything thrown in if I look to heaven. But if I look to the earth, I don't get either one amazing it's impossible for the heart listen to what Thomas Chalmers said in his great sermon the expulsive power of a new affection you can get this on the internet it's public domain I read it all last night again fantastic listen it is impossible for the heart to cast away the world from it you're not going to be able to just pull these things out and throw them away you're not impossible for the heart to cast the world away from it that's not how we're made that's not how Chalmers chalmer says we're not made that way we're not constituted to just tear all these loves out of our heart and throw them away it's not possible the only way listen this is the gospel the only way to dispossess your heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of of a new affection, see something, and I—I I would say someone has got to become the central part of your heart. And what the gospel tells us is that someone is a man who dwelled in a physical body, who came into this world and said, "I will go with you to the last, uttermost bottom. I will go to rock bottom for you." So you never, have to go, you never have to go into the grave. I'll go with you. You never have to go into shame and guilt. I'll take them for you. You never have to bear in your body the marks of death and punishment for your sin. I will bear them for you. Not so that you won't have to, but so that you can. So that you can face every single trial and trouble and say to it, I have an expulsive... In my life, I love someone more than anything else. And in that way, you can now love everybody and everything else. That's the gospel. It's what we're charged to do. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Father, uh, we ask for your grace and your mercy, please, to help us. Help us to trust you. We live in a terrible time. Our country's in an uproar. People are shouting at one another. The voice from the church is often silent. Help us to speak the truth in love, to point people to Jesus Christ the King. He is the only hope for our salvation. He is the peacemaker who made peace in his own body. Help us. Save us and have mercy on us, O God. Amen. Well, thank you. Please stand. Let's sing this final hymn together.